of the Holy and Undivided Trinity. Amen. Amen. Good morning, all saints. Some days I like to uh, stand here and listen to that music play like that and imagine that it's for me. <laughs> I'm having a great time listening to the choir in stereo today, which is kind of fun. Uh, that's something I don't ordinarily get to hear, and I appreciate that. This Sunday is the, um, the last Sunday after the Epiphany, or Transfiguration Sunday, and Cynthia's away today at a, uh, at a, a Curcio uh, gathering. Curcio, if you're not aware of it, is a renewal movement within the Episcopal Church, and she has taken uh, Eric Pankratz, um, Diane Owens, and Alan Nelson. And um, I don't think I'm blowing too much to, uh, to tell you that one of the traditions there is that the rector and others um, write notes of encouragement in, uh, and they, they read them while they're there. Um, so I'm going to share some of what I wrote to them with you uh, by way of this sermon. Dear Eric, Diane, and Alan, I was very pleased to hear that you heard the call to engage God's presence at Curcio this year and that you responded the way Abraham, Moses, Samuel, Isaiah, and Mary did. Here I am, send me. The fact is that engaging the Holy Spirit as an active and eager agent and expression of God's love is what Charles Williams called terribly good in his mystical classic, Descent into Hell, Good to be sure, but to engage with God in a serious way is terrible, in the sense of terrifying, filled with terror. It is terribly good because you're literally playing with fire as the Spirit purifies and reveals our own nature. Paul describes that fire in 1 Corinthians 3. No one can lay a foundation other than the one that has been laid, he says. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation, the work of each builder will become visible, and the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. It's a fire of purification that reveals what's really there. When you engage that fire, you are drinking from a spiritual fire hose. This weekend, we observed that last Sunday after Epiphany, sometimes called Transfiguration Sunday, because the Gospel reading always recounts Jesus' own transfiguration on the holy mountain. After the heavens are torn open by the voice of God the Father, the Holy Spirit lights on Jesus at his baptism. And the Father says, this is my Son, my beloved. And on this day, the same thing happens, only the voice adds, listen to him. 
listen to him. What would happen if we listened to that voice? What would we hear? Well, Matthew's Gospel says that Jesus was transfigured before the disciples and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. The word transfigured as written here is rendered in Greek as metamorphothē. Sounds like I have a lisp, but I don't. It's metamorphothē, <laughs> describing a profound change of appearance and of nature, like the metamorphosis of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. But the change itself is an illusion to those who are watching, because Jesus isn't changing. Jesus is who Jesus always was and always is. What changed was the disciples' capacity to perceive him as he always was and always is with eyes of the Holy Spirit. My hope for you is that God reveals your own beloved nature and that your face shines like the sun because you and those with you see each other as you really are, and that it's breathtaking. By becoming human, Jesus changed what it means for all of us to be human. And we, too, shine. We are bound to Christ in baptism, and Paul reminds us in Romans 6 that we share his humiliation and crucifixion, but also his resurrection, ascension, and dwelling in the heart of the Father. You were made to shine. And as we just heard from Peter, we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed by Jesus' own transfiguration. You will do well, he says, to be attentive to this, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Our world is that dark place and desperately, desperately needs to see your face shine here and in the world and light the way to God. St. Athanasius, Bishop of Alexandria, went much further when he wrote, the Son of God became man so that we might become God. Julian of Norwich wrote about it this way in her poetic song of our true nature. Christ revealed our frailty and our falling, our trespasses and our humiliations. Christ also revealed his blessed power, his blessed wisdom, and love. He protects us as tenderly and as sweetly when we are in greatest need. He raises us in spirit and turns everything to glory and joy without ending. God is the ground and the substance, the very essence of nature. God is the true father and mother of natures. 
We are all bound to God by nature. We are all bound to God by grace. And this grace is for all the world because it is our precious mother, Christ. For this fair nature was prepared by Christ for the honor and nobility of all and for the joy and bliss of salvation. So sit with that for a minute and let God's love and your own true nature wash over you. Again, in today's Gospel reading, Matthew tells us as Jesus, Peter, James, and John were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. He said this because the world wasn't yet ready to comprehend and embrace the truth about who Jesus really is. If you've ever had a mountaintop experience, you know that it fades in your mind as we're distracted by the world. But it's always there and it's always accessible to us when we return to our God in love and we get a peek whenever we look closely to find Jesus' presence in each other. And sometimes God just reveals it again when you least expect it. Lent begins with Ash Wednesday, three days from now. After Jesus and the disciples have come down from the mountain, Luke's account of the transfiguration tells us Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face to turn to Jerusalem. Faces in scripture tell us a lot about the nature of who we are, what we're there for. That's why it's considered dangerous to look in the face of God, because we wouldn't be able to handle the truth of what God is. When Jesus sets his face, he is setting his purpose toward Jerusalem and toward the events we call Holy Week. For the five Sunday, or excuse me, for the five Wednesday evenings of Lent at 7 p.m., not including Ash Wednesday, Steve and I are going to be offering a course in Ken Solving Hall called Setting Our Face, the Way of the Cross. It will be a version of what the ancient church called catechumenate, a course of study and preparation leading toward baptism and focusing on walking with Jesus through the events of Holy Week. It's a great way to prepare for baptism if you're not baptized or know someone who should be. It's a great way to prepare for confirmation, reception, or reaffirmation, or simply to renew your own discipleship. And I hope you'll consider being a part of that. John writes, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this, when he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Jesus' last word of epiphany is that there's a lot more than meets the eye 
to Jesus and to us. To all the saints of this congregation awaiting your next rector and your next chapter of ministry, I call on you to be transfigured and to shine. The new rector's job will not be to make you better, but to continue revealing what God already has created you to be. And I think that God is waiting for you to witness his transfiguration and to perceive your own. And as you move toward that mountain, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.